Welcome to the Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. And this time we're talking about Johann Strauss Jr.'s Die Fledermaus, Eric, which debuted in Vienna in 1874, conducted by the composer himself. Yeah. One of the great Viennese operettas. Probably the most famous and most popular of them all, really. Uh, the overture itself is one of the most famous pieces of music, <laughs> period, I mean, full stop. Unusually, this is an opera set in its own time. Yeah. I mean, in contemporary days. It's set in the Vienna of the 1870s. Yeah, we see that all the time now with you know operas that are composed in our time are often contemporary operas. But in those days, I mean, you had Verdi's La Traviata, which was a, a big, I wouldn't say scandal, but it was, it was unusual to have an opera set in, in a contemporary time. Same here with uh, Die Fledermaus. Vienna is a, a sort of a, a permissive society at this time. It's full of luxury and satisfying your wants and desires. And that comes through very much in the story that is presented in Die Fledermaus. Absolutely. We see that in the, in the first act right off the bat when you've got uh, Rosalinda, you know, who's married to Eisenstein, presumably happily, but uh, here comes this tenor Alfred, whom she's, you know, have, has a past with apparently, and she's, uh, okay, well, we'll send the husband off to jail and we'll have a little tryst with Alfred. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> As the, uh, the opera opens, Alfred is outside and he is singing. He's serenading Rosalinda. Gabriel uh, Eisenstein, her husband, is not home. Let's talk about Gabriel because he's in a bit of a predicament as the opera opens. Yeah, he has to go to jail for eight <laughs> days. <laughs> Originally, though, he was only supposed to go for five. Right. He had apparently insulted or, or hit a policeman. Uh, yeah, I believe you're correct. And when he does come in to act one with his lawyer, Dr. Blind, He's really upset because he thinks that Dr. Blind's incompetence has cost him those extra three days from five to eight. And he is scheduled to deliver himself to the prison that evening. Right. And Rosalinda has uh, basically arranged for a, a wonderful meal for him to send him off, you know, in at least a, some semblance of, of a happy state or at least sated. <laughs> and so she's told the uh, she's told her maid Adela that she cannot have the night off because they have to prepare this, you know, have to, have to send off Dr. Eisenstein to, to prison with a nice meal. And Adela wants to go. Uh, she wants to leave work early because she she's wants been to invited. go visit her sick aunt, her sick aunt, <laughs> which is a pretext. Uh -huh. which, what really has happened is her sister Ida, who is part of a ballet troupe, Prince Orlovsky uh, in Vienna, who is a, a Russian uh, aristocrat. Uh, thank you. Uh, he is throwing a huge party that evening, and he's invited the entire ballet troupe. And Ida says, if Adela can find, you know, a suitable clothing, a fancy Frog. party dress, mm -hmm. uh, that she can get her into the party. So Adela wants to go, but uh, Rosalinda basically says, no, 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 no. We've got to send Eisenstein off to prison tonight, so we have to cook him a really nice meal and send him off uh, in, in, style. in proper style. Of course, Adela has made up this uh, story, fabricated this story, that she's received this letter that her aunt is, is sick at death's door and she, she's crying and she wants to go visit her. Of course, right. it's, it's all a pretext. Right. Prince Orlovsky's ball that evening not only attracts Adela, but it also attracts Eisenstein. Indeed. His friend, 
Dr. Falker says to Eisenstein, Put Why? off jail. Put it off. <laughs> let's, just go let's tomorrow morning. <laughs> and let's go to this ball. Now, Dr. Falker is Has up to no good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's got an agenda. Apparently, on another evening when the two of them were out carousing, uh, Dr. Falca had quite a lot to drink and was dressed in a costume as a bat. Deflatermouse. Deflatermouse. And Eisenstein basically parked him on a park bench on in his bat home. costume. Uh-huh. And Falca woke up and there are all these people surrounding him making fun of him. Uh, and he had to basically you know, make the, the walk of shame home in his bat costume. So he wants revenge. And he's he's been harboring this for for some time, and uh, of course this invitation to uh, Orlovsky's ball is all part of this plan of revenge. Right, because he's not only inviting Eisenstein, but he's putting plans in motion to have the prison warden there as well, <laughs> and Rosalinda herself. But all of all of them will be in mask, so they won't recognize one another right away. One unusual thing, though, is as Eisenstein is preparing to leave, quote-unquote, for prison, he's in full evening dress, (laughs) which is is not normally how Mm. you show up to prison. Mm. (laughs) Odd. (laughs) Once he leaves, though, Alfred arrives. And Rosalinda sort of thinks, well, (laughs) Eisenstein's off. Uh, Alfred's here. Sure, why not? So she changes her mind and tells Adela, sure, go ahead, take the night off (laughs) to get rid of her so she can have a little tryst with Alfred. As she's having this tryst with Alfred, this this evening at home, this intimate evening, Frank, who is the, the governor of the prison, shows up to collect Eisenstein to take him to prison. And there he sees Alfred eating the dinner that they had prepared for Eisenstein, and he assumes, therefore, this must be Eisenstein. And Rosalinda says nothing to dissuade him of that mistaken assumption. Right. She doesn't want to uh, uh, admit what's going on. Right. But she's also faced with the, the dilemma that if Alfred is put in prison, he might meet Eisenstein there. Who will show up in the morning to turn himself in. End of Act One. <laughs> exactly. We should point out the role of Alfred is a lot of fun for a tenor who can sort of have a lot of uh, extemporaneous fun uh, at, uh, at operatic tenor's expense because he's sort of the uh, gross caricature of an operatic tenor. He is, you know, constantly breaking into song. He'll break into all kinds of operatic arias. It's a tour de force for a tenor who can really kind of take it and run with it and uh, be outrageous. So you'll hear a lot of snippets from other operas whenever Alfred is on stage, is what I'm saying. We'll hear that at the beginning of Act 3. Right. Act 2 is at Prince Orlovsky's ball. And Orlovsky is this strange, sort of eccentric character. And the role is sung by a mezzo, mezzo mezzo-soprano. Or, these days, more and more increasingly, uh, countertenors are taking it. So, either or. What does that add to the piece? It's setting Orlovsky apart as sort of, as you say, an odd sort of character. He's very world-weary. And he's sort of aloof. He's he's at the party, but he's not 
in, in the, the party. party. He's not of the party. It's almost like he's orchestrating it. And watching it as, as, as if he were... Some sort of social experiment. Yes, exactly. Seeing how people will play off of each exactly. other. Exactly. He has a big aria, the refrain of which is uh, chacun, chacun a son goût. To each his own. Each Whatever. to his own tastes. Whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whatever floats your boat. Whatever floats your boat. Whatever blows your skirts up. So Eisenstein shows up in disguise, in costume, with a mask, and he is purportedly the the Marquis Renard. Yes, and he recognizes someone who's also at the party, uh, whom he believes to be his maid Adela. She, however, denies it and and laughs it off, and she has her own aria, which is her laughing aria, Adela's laughing aria which is a, a, a coloratura showpiece. And then, of course, Rosalinda shows up. And she is a mysterious a Hungarian, Hungarian countess. countess. <laughs> and when challenged as to her authenticity, she responds with an aria of her own. It's the Chardash. And it's one of the highlights of the score, and it's quite difficult to sing. It, it's, uh, it's, a real, uh, it's a real tour de force for us, the soprano. And that's a, a traditional Hungarian uh, melody. Right, and she's singing about her homeland and, uh, and... How she hates being away from it. Yes, exactly. Eisenstein is quite taken by her and shows her his watch. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he try, he's trying to seduce her by showing her this chiming this watch. chiming watch. Uh, and in the course of, the, of a duet, and it's a wonderful duet if you can get uh, you know, a, a baritone and a soprano who can really sell it. Uh, in the course of the duet, as he's trying to seduce her with this chiming watch, she manages to get it off of him. <laughs> she winds up with the watch herself. She, of course, knowing exactly who this is. He doesn't recognize her, but she knows it's her husband. As the act draws to a, a close, though, we have this celebration of champagne, which yes. is sort of the, the, the quintessential element of this whole opera, isn't it? Yeah, it kind of fuels the proceedings, as it were. And um, Eisenstein basically uh, heads off to jail, followed by the jailer, and uh, hilarity ensues. <laughs> Act three, we are in the prison, and the uh, Frosch, who is the, the jailer, is drunk. Very. <laughs> <laughs> and again offstage, in one of the cells, Alfred is singing, and he's singing various tunes and arias from different operas, etc. Right. Uh, and it's a, a little tour de force for a comedic actor. Usually, um, oftentimes, Frosch will be played by someone really well-known, uh, a veteran comic actor who can sort of take this scene and kind of run with it vaudeville style. Because it's, it's a non-singing role. Exactly. And we should talk about the fact that there is quite a lot of dialogue in Deflate a Mouse. There is. And sometimes they, they go off, not off script, but... Uh, We should point out that in the second act, oftentimes in Orlovsky's party, it becomes uh, a gala performance wherein they have various and sundry guests, quote unquote, show up. Like celebrity appearances. Exactly. Mm -hmm. All kinds of celebrities. It could be uh, uh, the Metropolitan Opera has done, you know, Fledermaus galas where they had a parade of opera stars come in and do arias. There have been Broadway folks, uh, you name it. You sort of stop the action and it becomes a, a gala, a concert performance. Flatermouse, 
a lot of uh, a lot a lot of tinkering is done with it. Sometimes it's done in English translation uh, for for English and American audiences. The music stays the same, but uh, the trappings can be played with played with a lot, actually. Yeah. So as Act Three opens and we're in the prison, through various situations and pretexts, all the characters show up at the prison. Yeah, it's like We've this. Got Eisenstein and Rosalinda <laughs> and Alfred's already there, of course, and Adele and Frank, the uh, the prison governor, and uh, of course Olavsky and chaos ensues. Yes, exactly. I, I guess we could try to encapsulate it really quickly. Basically, Eisenstein shows up. He finds that there's already an imposter claiming to be Eisenstein in the prison. He then disguises himself as a lawyer to try to uh, get a confession from the imposter, at which Rosalinda shows up. <laughs> and Rosalinda is there to spring Alf Alfred from prison and to start divorce proceedings against her unfaithful husband. So she starts to reveal everything to this guy who she thinks is a lawyer. He then <laughs> takes off the lawyer disguise. and It's Eisenstein. He accuses her of infidelity with Alfred, at which point she produces the watch that she got off of him at the party <laughs> <laughs> and accuses him of infidelity. So there's stalemate. One-upmanship. Yeah. And at that point, basically, Falca shows up and, and reveals himself to be the mastermind of this whole grand scheme. And the Eisensteins reconcile and everybody sings a big toast to King Champagne. And Falca has his revenge. It's the bat's revenge. He does indeed. Exactly. Operetta, Eric. What is it that makes this an operetta rather than an opera? Well, it's an operetta because, I mean, number one, it's, it's got the spoken dialogue and quite a lot of it. Does that make it a, a Zingspiel? No. <laughs> Zingspiel is from an earlier period, uh, but it's a precursor of operetta. It's an operetta because... It, um, it requires the pacing of Broadway, and it has lots of dialogue, but at the same time, it has music that requires classically trained singers, uh, you know, that a Broadway, you know, singer would not be able to handle Rosalinda's Chardash. Well, maybe Audra McDonald, <laughs> but not many Broadway singers could handle Rosalinda's Chardash. So it requires the resources of an opera company with the pacing and the style of a, of a Broadway musical. It's light, it's frothy, it's like the bubbles in a glass of champagne. Right. Johann Strauss Jr.'s Die Fledermaus. That's this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. Thank you for listening. <laughs>